A 2018 study from the Music Industry Research Association found that 50% of musicians reported battling symptoms of depression. That's compared with less than 25% of the general adult population. We wanted to find out why. I'm George Borarki, and this is Untangling the Courts, a podcast from WFUV News and Sounds Minds Live, focusing on the relationship between music and mental health. In this podcast, mental health experts, advocates, and musicians will share their expertise and experiences on the issue of mental health and provide practical advice on how to handle mental health challenges. In this episode, we're talking with Peter Jampel, a professor of music therapy at New York University, about the healing effects music and have on those struggling with a mental illness. Peter, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. So what's your background in the field of music therapy? Well, uh, I've been a music therapist now for 47 years. Um, and my background is working in community music therapy with seriously, persistently uh, mentally ill adults at a community mental health center in Brooklyn and uh, have worked with other populations, but that's been my primary experience. Music therapy is a type of treatment involving a therapist, a client, and the use of music in some form. Though Peter works with adults with mental illness, music therapy also benefits people with brain injuries, as well as developmental and learning disabilities. I asked Peter to tell me what music therapy involves and what it does for the people he works with. Because of the nature of serious, persistent mental illness, and the communication challenges that it presents for adults who are afflicted with these serious mental disorders. Music offers an alternative area of relative intact health and communication strengths. And so the people I work with um, who are often isolated and unable to uh, communicate and express themselves in music, it was like unlocking a key and finding a opportunity uh, for people who loved music and some people who were really talented musicians um, to discover their strengths and to benefit from the boost it, it provided them in terms of the feeling of accomplishment, which all human beings need to experience. And unfortunately, um, people who have such serious mental health challenges don't have enough uh, experiences of accomplishment. And it was a wonderful thing to behold people uh, finding that their music was an area of joy and uh, can elicit in other people, uh, you know, a sense of um, congratulations about their musical accomplishments. So that is really uh, a very special aspect of my work. And I always felt that as a music therapist, I was the lucky guy on staff to bring out the joy and the depth of response I was able to elicit with the people I work with, whereas other people on the team, um, you know, didn't have as many instances of being able to tap into that. But in a broader sense, George, um, 
music therapy works in different ways with different uh, populations. So for people who are experiencing dementia, music can offer an alternative neural pathway towards more intact functioning, musical functioning, which is on a different side of the brain than cognitive functioning and uh, offers them, again, another opportunity to experience strength, beauty, expression, empowerment uh, in a otherwise fairly bleak period of their life where they are lacking a sense of accomplishment and competence. And if I can just do one more population, there are numerous yeah. populations, you know, working with children on the aut autism spectrum. Um, again, uh, young people who need accomplishment, that's a recurring theme, really. Everybody needs accomplishment and, and children who uh, have autism um, really do suffer from a lack of sense of capacity and competence and recognition for their innate talents. And music offers th them that opportunity to not only experience the power and the delight of musical expression, but the recognition from parents and siblings and peers um, that they indeed do have these wonderful gifts that um, are there to be uncovered. So the common theme is that all people who love music, and it's not really a matter of how talented you are, but how much you would experience music on a deeper level, which is not dependent on talent, but really on the depth of one's connection to music. Um, these are um, ways in which all uh, populations experience music through accomplishment, but the exact benefits that they accrue from the experience of music making um, depend really on who they are and what um, issues they're struggling with. Peter, have you conducted specific research when it comes to the benefits of music for people with mental health challenges? Yes. So uh, my doctorate was a um, study of people who um, were performers, musical performers, and who had uh, um, experienced serious mental health challenges. And the research was qualitative research to try to understand what it meant for them to be able to make music again, perform music, and what that experience was like for them. And um, the long and the short of the, that research project was that it was tremendously important for people to be able to re-experience their musical um, talents, be able to um, convey their own abilities to, uh, to make music on a high level and that um, it was gratifying to them and meaningful to them to be able to find their music, make it, have it appreciated by others and 
in, experience deeply as a sense of um, a restoration of their sense of self-esteem. Um, I've subsequently done other research projects, but uh, that first research project uh, again spoke to me about um, the complexity of the way music is embedded in our um, ego, the way in which uh, people who identify deeply with music um, have a lifelong sense of uh, connection and meaning that music provides. And when that is interrupted by either mental or physical health challenges, um, it's really vitally important uh, to help them find uh, opportunities to re-engage musically uh, and re-establish the sense of meaning that that provides uh, for them in their lives. Peter's been working in the music therapy field for nearly 50 years, so he's really seen its development. From not being seen as a real form of treatment to now being covered by most insurance companies, music therapy and its perception have drastically changed. It's become first a uh, much more widely um, accepted and appreciated form of therapy, uh, both in the medical community and uh, in the health community in general. Um, so in the early years, it was as if we were, you know, um, people who brought happiness, uh, but seemed to be uh, not serious players in the treatment team, but people who were seen as, um, you know, people who can uh, engage others uh, and yet not really make a, a serious impact both on uh, treatment policy and insurance companies in terms of reimbursability. Uh, over the years, as music therapy has continued to evolve in terms of research and demonstrable um, benefits to the various populations that we work with, I think there is not only an increasing appreciation for what we do, but a um, call for what we do. We are the predominant form of treatment uh, with certain populations, such as adults with dementia. It is the treatment of choice um, in many facilities to work with music and the, the other arts, but music in particular with that population is uh, a, a first line uh, response. Um, and I would say other populations like working with children with autism as well. Music is widely recognized as having substantial advantages over other treatment interventions. What about um, something like depression, Peter? Yeah. The treatment of depression, you know, is, uh, again, a complicated and often multi-pronged uh, strategy where music certainly can have an important piece, but it needs to be seen in conjunction with other treatment interventions. Now I'm talking about serious, persistent, 
recurrent depression, what is often referred to as major depressive episodes or a um, chronic state uh, of depression such as uh, dysthymia. Um, so I, I don't want to present music as a, you know, um, as a catch-all and a end-all thing. It depends on the individual. It depends on their relationship to music. It depends on how well stabilized their symptoms are in terms of needing antidepressants, needing various forms of talk therapy uh, and social supports and educational supports. Um, so that the role of music, rather than being seen as a panacea, is really part of an ongoing multi-pronged treatment approach with depression because depression is it's pernicious and it's very deeply embedded in many aspects of a person's function. Um, so, you know, it's hard to talk about a illness like depression in, in a general sense. It's much more meaningful on a case-by-case -case basis and the role that music might play with an individual, uh, it will vary. So it sounds like if music happens to be in your blood and soul, you really love it, you might be more likely to respond to it than someone who doesn't necessarily appreciate music so much in their daily lives. George, very well put, very succinctly put. I would say the degree of success of music therapy, if I had to isolate the single most important variable, it would be the degree that people love and respond to music. I know as part of the Baltic Street Music Therapy Program, there's a band, right, that yes. you have organized. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So in 1991, the Baltic Street Band came into being, and it grew out of a recognition, really, that people loved making music, the people I was working with, and wanted to make more music and to be more involved in improving their skills and sharing their music with others. Um, and so at that point, um, it was clear to me that um, a different strategy needed to be developed in terms of how to um, not only address the needs that I saw people had, uh, and I'm talking, most of them were singers and instrumentalists who had various degrees of training and performance experience, but also that there was uh, a need to take a look at who would be interested in uh, having us play for them. Um, and we became uh, a, a group that provided services for hospital audiences incorporated for a period of about two, two and a half years. And we got paid and we got paid pretty well. And it was very rewarding and important for people who were putting in long hours of rehearsal and preparation to see that their efforts were being uh, rewarded monetarily. Um, beyond that, you know, we played 
we developed our own monthly cabaret. We were blessed with having an auditorium at Baltic Street, fixed it up, created a great sound stage and used that as our monthly platform. And we became the house band. But then we invited other mental health uh, music groups from all over the world. We became the site of uh, yearly creative arts festivals for several years. And we were part of a um, Brooklyn-wide and then a city-wide creative arts therapy network that had yearly festivals. And it grew and grew. And one of the things, and it still exists today, I am no longer active with the Baltic Street Band. My colleagues at Baltic Street have taken it over. But there are uh, other bands now. It's created uh, a, a recognition within the field of music therapy that performance and performing groups are not just um, uh, extras. Uh, there's a, a natural development uh, as you deepen people's understanding and appreciation of making music to want to make more and more music. So what we experience at Baltic Street really has been now uh, kind of institutionalized, if I can use that, established as one of the methods of music therapy that is going on not only here in New York City and the United States, but all around the world. As COVID-19 continues to threaten public health, many musicians are unable to perform or have lost their income streams, creating a lot of mental anguish. Peter shared his thoughts on the state of things. It's already happening that people are making music remotely and sharing their music uh, through Zoom meetings and other online venues. Um, and so there is now a whole new appreciation for how uh, the isolating effects of COVID-19 pandemic has become the mother of invention in terms of musicians seeing um, online venues as an important way of maintaining a sense of productivity and expressiveness and creativity and using that as a new platform. For music therapists, We've recognized uh, for a while now that telehealth communications are part of the arsenal of methods that we need to incorporate. And this has been accelerated by COVID-19. I'm involved right now in the development of a webinar series of how COVID-19 has developed new um, music therapy um, techniques and methods, and we're gathering the stories of people who have been uh, using music and using art and using dance and drama and poetry and how they've incorporated that into their lives. And we're, we're working with uh, a not-for-profit um, called the Unloneliness Project, which is part of art and healing foundation. And I've been working with them in developing uh, stories that we're organizing into a webinar. But I would go even one step further, George. You know, it's clear that people are still making live music from their balconies, yeah. you know, uh, and connecting 
um, in ways that are dictated by the physical restrictions that exist, but have um, pushed people to see their neighbors and people in close proximity as fellow music makers. And so, um, you know, in dealing with the isolating effects of, uh, of this pandemic, it, it has just uh, re-engaged people to make their music. You see violin concerts for single people on the roof, you know, um, <laughs> Musicians are going to make music and they're going to find a way not only of expressing themselves and needing to do that, but finding audiences. And if it's an audience of one or it's an audience of the people in your neighborhood, it still has a, a significant effect in terms of being a, a, an important outlet for their creativity. Peter, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, George. Glad we finally had this chance to, uh, to get together and chat. The relationship between music and mental health is certainly a tangled one, but Peter has shown us that at its core, music has the ability to heal, and it's a hopeful note on which to end our Untangling the Chords series. Thank you so much for listening to Untangling the Chords. If you or someone you know is struggling with a mental health issue, we have a list of free resources at soundmindlive.org resources. You can also enter for a chance to win a $50 iTunes gift card by completing a short five-question survey about Untangling the Chords at soundmindlive.org resources. A link to the survey is at the top of the page. I'm George Boldarki. Our writer for this final episode of Untangling the Chords is Rebecca Gutierrez. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. And thank you again for listening. <laughs>